It's good to see you all this afternoon. Welcome to Church on the Green. Uh, today we are continuing our series called Living Letters, a Biblical Basis of Vineyard Values. The title of this series comes from uh, a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of the letters that the ancient church planner Paul uh, wrote to a church that he had a bunch of interaction with. Um, and in this, in this passage uh, from which this uh, phrase comes, he's in a bit of a pinch, um, seemingly uh, caught without a letter of recommendation. I just got actually a request recently from a friend, needed a, le- letter, of, a letter of recommendation. This is like a thing we can maybe relate to, you sometimes need in life. But after years of life and ministry together, Paul's own church, a church he founded, is asking for his credentials. And so he, he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Surely we do not need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you, do we? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And we're not going to like dig in deep into this passage, but it's striking, right? He said, how can, I, how can he offer these folks a letter of recommendation? He wouldn't even know whether... Uh, whether whether uh, it should be addressed to them or written by them, right? It's like if your recommend if your recommender asked you asked you for a letter of recommendation, it's like I I, I don't know what to do. Um, the crazy fact is, it probably would have to be both. And this crazy situation forces Paul into a striking recognition. Often, the best evidence we have of Christ's work in our midst is the evidence of Christ's work in other people's lives. Sometimes what we need in order to understand the way of Christ is to be able to see the lives of people in whom the spirit of the living Christ is alive and at work. And so in this series, we're looking back at the way of Christ embedded in the lives of the ancient churches, living letters that we know through the written letters recorded for us in Scripture. And we're also looking back at the way of Christ embedded in the story of the vineyard, the movement of churches to which we belong, living letters that are a bit closer to us, perhaps, at least in time and geography. But both of these stories are ultimately, these stories are the reason why we're here right now in this place this afternoon, curious in one way or another about the way of Jesus. And this week we're looking at the value that in the vineyard, we pursue culturally relevant mission in the world. Yes, I said, I said mission. I don't know if some of you have feelings about that. Mission, maybe even we're going to have to talk about evangelism. Uh, again, some of you may have feelings about that, especially as it pertains to like culture and to the world. The church has not, I'll just say right at the beginning, um, I take it the church has not always had a stellar record here. But I think, trust me, I think God has good news for us. And it all starts with God's activity, not with ours. We're going to let these guys go past. So 
So a lot of a lot of the letters that we're talking about in this series are written to help churches wrestle with the fact of God's activity in their midst. And it's and the and the crazy fact is this that God has been drawing near to Gentiles and been drawing near to Gentiles as Gentiles. The God of Israel is drawing near to non-Israelites. And uh, we see this all throughout the, the New Testament. Luke goes out of his way and acts to make it clear that all of this was God's action. It was sort of like this whole controversy was God's fault to begin with. This wasn't a missionary strategy or deliberate sort of church decision. Those came later and were part of the struggle that we find throughout so many of these New Testament letters. People trying to scramble to sort of make sense of a God gone rogue. The God of Israel pouring out God's spirit on a Roman centurion and his whole household while, while they weren't even keeping kosher. Or a revival that broke out in Antioch among non-Jews who had no intention of converting to Judaism. It was miraculous. It was extraordinary. And the Gentiles themselves who experienced it could hardly believe it. Paul actually had to like remind these, these folks in Galatians 3.2. He said, the only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Did God pour out God's Spirit because you started living like Jews? Or did God show up simply because you, as Gentiles, believed the good news that God was at work in your midst? Early vineyard folks, um, the folks who sort of founded this movement of churches, they knew themselves religiously to be Gentiles. Um, from a religious point of view, they were on the outside. They were not who religious folks thought were sort of God's kind of people. They were hippies, you know, like long hair, blue jeans. They were peace activists. They were political radicals. They were rock and rollers with histories of serious drug use and free love. And then out of the blue, after a decade of preachers condemning them and demanding that they change, God began to move and to speak to these folks in their own language, on their own terms, through even their own music. And in the early days of the vineyard and what became known, it was much broader than just the vineyard, this movement known simply as the Jesus movement. There were these extraordinary illustrations of what it looked like for God to speak across a cultural divide that people had thought was unbridgeable. In the late 70s, the West LA vineyard was, was meeting on the beach, long hair, blue jeans and all, uh, members of the Eagles were playing on the worship team. Like, I mean, they were like plugged into like what was happening in like a certain cultural scene. Bob Dylan had come to faith. I mean, this was like a hippie revival going on. Hundreds were being baptized in the ocean. And the spiritual curiosity that was suffused throughout the hippie movement was being answered by perhaps the most surprising person of all. The God of these folks' parents the God of their grandparents, the God of the Puritans, um, the God of those who had condemned these folks as rebellious good-for-nothings. Okay, fine, slowly but surely the drug use changed, and God would have some things to say about sex and its role in the way of Jesus. 
But in the midst of God's activity drawing near to these folks who had known themselves only ever as religious outcasts, those steps in following Jesus didn't feel like betrayals of their cultural identity. God wasn't asking them to become square in order to follow Jesus. God was calling them as hippies to follow Jesus. Even, we might say, God was calling them to follow Jesus as hippies. This might feel a little bit remote to us, but it got, it got sort of like put together in, in, a, culture, in, a, in a slogan, right, that, that became important within the early vineyard. The invitation simply to come as you are. Come as you are. Dress as you like. Sing as you sing. And be prepared to be astonished that God will show up, not despite that, but precisely in the midst of that. You thought your culture was a barrier between you and God. Watch what God will do if you refuse to let it be a barrier. And we're going to talk, most of this talk will be about sort of figuring out what, that, um, what, that, what it looks like for us to enter into this mission. But I just want to pause here because I think some of us today may never quite have heard this good news spoken to us. We may still be under the impression that in order for God to draw near to us, we have to leave our culture. We have to leave our identity. For some, maybe that's that's why that maybe while you've been curious about the way of Jesus, you've actually never been able to buy in. And And I hope you'll hear this today. That is a false choice that you've been given. God isn't waiting for you to become white or to become conservative or to become progressive or to become Ivy League or to become whatever whatever else it might be that someone has told you that you need to become before God will draw near. And the invitation is available to all of us today. You thought your culture was a barrier between you and God, but watch what God will do if you invite God into your ethnic, your class, or your gender identity. For some who have dared to follow Jesus, um, for some of us, that's looked like feeling like we had to abandon our culture along the way, and we've done it for the sake of some sort of culture that we've been told is more agreeable to God. And as we go down that road, we're liable to lose really important parts of ourselves, our stories, our histories, our identities. And if that's you, you need to hear today, God mourns for your loss and invites you to reconsider what it means that God is drawing near to you in your culture, in your history, in your identity. For others who have been following Jesus for some time now, holding our culture and our life with God sort of at arm's length from each other, we too have been missing out. If we've been fearing that God would do violence to our identities if we allowed God to work on them, we've effectively left swatches of ourselves deliberately unconverted, untouched by God's work. And if that's you, then you need to hear today, God is trustworthy. God's not looking to convert you away from your culture. God wants to bring life right there in the midst of your culture and your identity And again, just watch what God will do if you invite God into your ethnic class or gender identity. That's good news. And as the early folks in the vineyard experienced this good news in their midst, that experience turned naturally into invitation, even into what we might call mission and evangelism. Each, each one of them had had this experience that God is welcoming me 
and, and, and my, like in my cultural forms, in my cultural space. And so it was only natural for them to turn to their fellow hippies and to share the good news, right? Look, God is welcoming us in our cultural forms. The Jesus movement hippies were becoming missionaries before they knew it. Now, look, looking back through Christian history, we can see a bunch of different ways that this can go, right? Ways that Christians can enter into the mission of God. I want to talk about at least like one very common, what I'll call like a very common like total fail. <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then I think also we can think about a variety of more difficult, but I take it more productive ways of entering into God's mission. Each one sort of more dangerous, but also more rewarding than the last. First, the quite familiar total fail. This is what happens, I take it, when we get confused and we think that if God showed up in my culture, that must mean that my culture is really special. Because, like, God can show up that way. So, therefore, what mission should look like is I should turn to folks and say, like, hey, like, you should adopt my culture. Because as it turns up, like, God, sho- God shows up there. And we could talk about this familiar error all over Christian history, but I'm just going to cut to the chase, right? Like, we just be honest. Like, this is exactly how, like, the vineyard has operated sometimes. It's, even that's, like, too generic, right? Like, um, that's how, like, ECV operates sometimes. We turn, turn a certain version of sort of mainstream white American culture into religious technique, In the old days, it would be, you know, let your hair go long, wear blue jeans, use guitars and drums in worship, and you just wait and see that all that God will do in your midst. I get the irony. I mean, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I wear blue jeans. If you've been here before, you've seen me playing the guitar. Like, I I mean, that's me, right? Um, if If I had been born like 30 years earlier, I might well have been out on those beaches, and look, the Jesus movement, I think my hair is actually kind of long today too. Like, but like, but look, the, the Jesus movement is part of our history. These songs, these ways of life together as community, they're part of our spiritual inheritance. But we will have fundamentally misunderstood that inheritance and in the process squandered it if we think that when God showed up for a group of ex-hippies or hippies, God was electing a particular culture as God's own. I won't go deep into this, but my understanding is that God did that once, elect a particular culture, and suffice it to say, it was not 20th century white American youth culture. And again, we have to be honest, as the vineyard, as the church in America, as ECV, we have and we do regularly make this error. We've misunderstood what God is doing in our midst. And to the extent that white American youth culture, which, I mean, so many ironies here, because let's be honest, white American youth culture is almost always some sort of black culture, sort of tamed and appropriated by corporate interests for like broad consumption. But to the extent that white American youth culture is still centered in ECV, to the extent that whiteness is still centered in ECV, we have fundamentally misunderstood, we have misunderstood our own story and God's activity in our midst. We fundamentally misunderstood these living letters that speak to us across the generations. 
these living letters from, 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 uh, from, from uh, decades ago, these living letters from centuries ago, speak not of God's election of a particular culture, but rather of the translatability of the kingdom. They speak of a kingdom of God not bound to any one cultural form over any other. They speak of a kingdom that is always deeply involved in culture, but never exclusive to any one culture. A kingdom that is home-making on the move. We worship a God of the tabernacle in the story of Jesus, whom the Gospel of John describes as tabernacling among us. God inhabits cultural spaces. God moves into the neighborhood, reveals the latent wisdom of God already resident there. And once we understand this home-making God on the move, filling and fulfilling cultural space after cultural space, we begin to have a chance of understanding the kinds of identities that we might take up as we enter into God's mission in the world. And God, and, and God uh, sort of crystallized this, and, and Paul captured this insight in Galatians 3.28, the words spoken each time someone in one of Paul's churches was baptized. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. It's this ancient good news, these markers of ethnicity, class, and gender no longer have to divide us. Now, as I read Paul, they don't stop being real. We can't, on the basis of this text or any other in Paul, claim that it is a Christian virtue to be colorblind to race or to no longer even be aware of distinctions of ethnicity, class, or gender. Far from it. Paul understands himself and those in his church to have been baptized into Christ's body, which is the beginning of a whole new creation in which these differences will one day be transformed. But that's not the world we live in yet. But have been, having been baptized into that world, we're invited to live imaginatively toward it, to become, in some sense, other than we are. And this confused Paul and confused, I, well, I don't know if it, well, probably confused Paul along the way, but it certainly confused his churches. And so Paul has to write a ton about this all, all over his letters. Well, I'll just give you a couple of moments where this happens in really important ways. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, let those who mourn live as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as, wi- as if they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And so in this time, between the times, as those belonging both to the body of Christ, in which these distinctions are being done away with, transformed, and in the world, With all of its distinctions, we are invited to live according to godly imagination as though we were otherwise. And this has huge implications for mission, for sharing the good news of God's pursuit of us, even or especially across lines of cultural difference as Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 9 in a much-quoted and misunderstood passage. He writes, For though I am free with respect to all, 
I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. There is no longer slave or free. So I, a free man, says Paul, am free to make myself a slave of all. There is in some sense no longer Jew or Greek. So I, a Jewish man who knows himself to be free from Jewish law but subject to the way of Christ, I am free to become as a Jew or as a Greek. Though in some respects strong, I can become weak. I am free, Paul says, to take up in principle any identity marker, to become anything, even all things. This is the opposite of the sort of classic total fail, total Christian mission fail we were, uh, we were talking about before. This isn't a mission of become as I am, This is a mission of allow me to become as you are. This isn't a mission of cultural assimilation. This is a mission of cultural tabernacling, of being hosted by others, so that together we can be hosted by the one who is everywhere making God's self at home. Now let's be clear. I take it that Paul is not just sort of play acting here, and he's certainly not trying to pass. He's becoming all things to all people uh, doesn't mean um, trying to uh, 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 present ourselves like falsely with respect to like identity markers. Nor is Paul imagining he can genuinely jettison his identity markers. Paul knows who he is, and he keeps reminding us that. Right? I mean, it's a really that's part of what makes that passage so confusing. He keeps reminding us again and again. As he tells his story of mission, I became as a Jew, even though I'm not under the law. It's also weird to think, like, this is a man who is, who's, like, born Jewish, like, went through, like, rabbinic training. Um, and he, he, can, he can become as a Jew. Um, anyway, when we think about sort of taking up identities, we often think about crossing boundaries. Here's Paul, who has become to the point where he can take up, in an as-if posture, his own identity given from birth. I became, he says, as one not under the law, even though I know I'm under Christ's law. He knows those facts, and he's not trying to sort of hide them or subvert them. He's living imaginatively into new spaces for the sake of the mission of God's kingdom, of the gospel. What has happened to Paul is that he's been invited into the mission of God. And rather than simply proclaiming in the abstract, hey, good news, 
God will meet you in and through your culture and in your identity. Have at it and let me know how it goes. Paul has taken a step further. I, for what it's worth, I think actually that first move is probably defensible at, at, at some, at, to some extent. But Paul, Paul goes one step further. Paul has used the freedom available in his identity in Christ to genuinely enter into the cultural spaces of others. And then standing alongside them, hosted by them, having become as they are, Paul can bear witness with them as God shows up in their midst. See, that's the picture that Paul has of mission. God's the one showing up in all of these, in all of these different sorts of places. The, our work in mission is to go and belong in those places, to witness together with people the God who shows up in their midst. This, I take it, is what Paul is talking about when he says he does this whole crazy becoming all things for all people thing for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Paul lives this way so that he can share in the wonder and awe of God showing up in a new cultural space. He gets to see the miracle happen again and again, as if from the inside each time. I want to take a moment just to, I don't want to, I just want to pray, right? So we're just going to do that. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would come and have your way on, in this place. That you would calm hearts, that you would speak truth, that you would heal where there's brokenness. In here, um, in, in, in every space here in this place, we just pray for um, our brother, our, our neighbor who's here. And I don't, know the, I don't know any of the story, but Lord, I just know that you are meeting him where he's at. So would you come and have your way in this whole place with everyone who's gathered here? Amen. So I just want to ask you, right? This is a really, this is a really like, to me, it's, it's been blowing my mind even this past week as I've been preparing this message, this way of... Of, 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 of entering into mission that I think Paul is offering to us, that God's offering to us in this letter from Paul. And I wonder, I wonder if you've, uh, you've actually, I think some of you have probably already had these experiences. Right? Have, you, have you been witness to the work of God in another person who was very much unlike you? Have you ever drawn near to another, gotten to know them, even in some sense become like them in some ways in hopes of seeing the work of God in their life? And then you actually see how God shows up. And all of a sudden, you know God in a new way. I know there are stories here. I just want to share one in my own life. And honestly, we, should, we could just go around and like share stories. You should ask after church. But for years now, I've been, I've been, um, I run a teaching program in, in Yale College called Life Worth Living. And in, the, in doing that has given me opportunity to bear witness to God's work in just this sort of way, actually. In doing that work for a couple of years, I felt led by God um, so far as to serve as a faculty sponsor for the Secular Humanist Society at Yale. Um, 
That may make some of you worried. Um, we can talk more about that later. Um, I'll just let you know that like on my, fa on my bio on their website, the first line was Matt Crosman is a staff pastor at the Elm City Vineyard Church. All right, so no hidden agendas. Um, I, but I, I felt got by, called by God to be in that space. And part of my work in that group was I contribu was contributing regularly to a group called um, WTF. Um, this, you know, it stood for Who to Follow. Um, it was led and named by my friend Tom, who had a, had a, had a flair. Um, but he was writing a book, actually, about following Jesus as an atheist. It's out, actually, if you want to, like, Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower. Uh, but Tom and I have always known that we had like important disagreements, and I'm not. Didn't, we didn't try to hide that. I'm not trying to hide that now. Um, we don't agree on some things that are really important. But I kept feeling led by God further into this community to to be even in certain ways to like become like them, right? In order to see what God's activity in their midst would look like, and so I would like. I'd be trying to like juggle. They met earlier on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> I'd be like juggling my like worship team um, schedule with my like going to secular humanist meetings schedule. But one evening, this particular the WTF group happened in the evening. At that group, um, my friend Tom um, commented that um, his sense was that the purpose of Jesus's life was to help us become fully human. And, he, he, and he, when he said, when he sort of like gave this summary of what he thought the sort of purpose of the life of Jesus was, it like it felt with like it fell with real weight in this room, right? Um, Tom was always like a little bit like marginal even within the secular humanist community because some of them were like, "Why are you trying to like be like in with Jesus? Like we're secular folk." And anyway, but but when he said this, it had it had it had real weight. And as a secular humanist. Like, for Tom, that made good sense to him. And for the other sort of secular folks sitting around, like, wondering, what does it mean to be a human being? What would it mean to live lives worthy of our shared humanity? This is a, a really meaningful insight. And I have to say, as a follower of Jesus myself, I've never been able to forget that insight. Um, yes, I know you can find something similar, like, in, like, the works of, like, Irenaeus. Um, this is, there, there, are, there are ways of thinking this thought within the Christian tradition, for sure. But n I never heard, I never, hmm, the insight never hit with the same sort of weight reading it from Irenaeus as it did in that room that night among a group of friends in that secular humanist community who had f experienced Jesus or had, hmm, had Jesus sort of presented to them by one of their own in a way that really made, um, made him perhaps even uh, a possibility of a central focus point for one's humanist life. And as I said, I know many others in this community have had these sorts of experiences of entering into others' cultural worlds and being blessed by bearing witness to how God shows up and walking away with the blessings of the gospel with sort of insights into the nature of God and God's work in the world, surprised by the way that God is willing to cross um, into these spaces and show up, because God just keeps being willing to move into the neighborhood. And God is at work all around us doing exactly that. 
So mission or evangelism isn't just about bringing a truth as much as perhaps it is about entering enough into someone else's cultural space so that we can bear witness to God's self-revelation in that space. In a real sense, witnessing to people may perhaps be as much about bearing witness to God alongside them as anything else. The work isn't in figuring out God or explaining God or cajoling God to show up. The work is becoming, as Paul says, becoming all things to all people. And it's not easy. But what opens up is not just an effective strategy for mission or evangelism. You know, 10 steps to convert your friends. Number seven will shock you. In the final accounting, as much as Paul uses language of winning people for the gospel, it isn't about scoring points. Because the, this vision of mission isn't something we do to or even for other people. Rather, what opens up to us is a mode of mutuality, of mutual belonging, as we together encounter this God who is inviting us to know ourselves in these imaginative ways. And Paul didn't just enter into the cultural world of his Gentile churches. He also invited them to know themselves the same way, right? In Galatians 4.12, He says, friends, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. It goes both ways. Let us become as one another. Let us enter into one another's cultural worlds to bear witness to the God who is making God's home in the midst of our complex and overlapping identities. The work of mission is at least in part in entering deeply enough into mutual belonging with someone else that when God shows up in their world, we are there to bear witness together with them, to celebrate, to add our story to theirs as they add their story to ours. The practice that gets us there is this mysterious thing that I will be the first to admit I do not understand fully. It's this practice of becoming all things to all people. And the result is an otherwise impossible community of mutual belonging that is itself good news to a world longing for mutual belonging across dividing lines. That's the sort of community we're still trying to become in ECV. We're not there, far from it. But we've, we've caught glimpses. We've had our hearts captivated. It's, that's the sort of community that we want to become. And I think what's exciting to me is, is we have been having services for the past year and a half when we can outside in public space in the midst of all the mess that that creates is that I think that that sort of community of mutual belonging across lines of difference, that's the sort of community that our world is hungry to see. It's the sort of community that we can only become at God's invitation and through God's work in our midst. So three questions for you as we turn towards communion. Three questions to consider. First, right back to the beginning, right? Um, I want to, I think it'd be good for all of us to, to reflect. Where are you still waiting to experience the good news of God showing up in your world as you are? sort of went through like a bunch of different ways that we might relate to that question. Well, I'll just say like perhaps you've been hesitant to invite God into some aspect of your culture or, I- culture or identity. There's an invitation today um, 
to, to invite God in and, and, to, and, to, and to see what God might do. Second, what aspects of, of, of culture, yours or others, are you tempted to conflate with the good news of God's kingdom? Like what, what, what sort of, what little cultural markers are you inclined to actually think like, oh, no, 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 I'm pretty sure that's just, that's just the gospel. Um, there's substance to the gospel, but are, are there pieces of culture that have sort of slipped in there? That, that, that we've gotten confused. Uh, that's a, that's a um, difficult but important question of discernment as we try to build a sort of community that I think, well, as we try to, par- par- uh, to partner with God as God tries to build the sort of community God's trying to build here. And finally, whose cultural world is God inviting you to enter so that you can bear witness together with them as God shows up in their midst? Is there a neighbor? Is there a colleague? Is there, um, yeah, some place that God is, is leading you to do this work of becoming as so that you can witness and celebrate together as God shows up in that space? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we sort of turn into communion. If you don't have communion elements, uh, could you raise your hand right now? I know there, there, there'll be folks coming around. I see some hands up here in the middle. Awesome. Just keep them up. There'll be a few folks coming around. It can help, help you out. This work of God that we've been talking about um, is not easy. It, um, and as much as the impetus is on God, as I often like to think, like as I, I think I mentioned at the beginning, the New Testament is at great pains to, to insist. It's sort of, it's God's fault. It's not our idea, right? Like God goes around like crossing boundaries that we wish God wouldn't. Um, and then, and then uh, but we're then invited to, to live as God's people in the midst of this work of God, this mission of God in our midst. Being that people, becoming those people is not easy work. And it's not work that we can do um, on, our, on our own. Um, we're not gonna like figure out like the right strategies or whatnot. We need God's transforming presence in our midst, even in the core of our very selves. Which I take it is what we have on offer as we come to communion. So we have an opportunity to take in the body of the living Christ, to take in his blood that was shed for us, to receive uh, the renewing power of the work of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living Christ in our midst, so that we could uh, become the people individually, become the people as a community that God is calling us to become. So I invite you to take first uh, the bread, receive Christ's body broken for you, given um, as food for you, sustenance to you to live a God-pleasing life. I invite you also to, to take from the cup
And again, receive in to, to our very bodies. Let's receive together um, the blood of Christ shed for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work, that you would, um, even as these elements uh, come into our, be- our bodies and become part of our, our muscles and our bones and our sinews, would you, Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Make us as individuals and even more so as a community, which you make us um, the body of Christ. Allow us to be filled with your imagination, to live the sort of lives to which you have called us. And we are just so eager, Lord, to see um, the ways that you will continue to show up in ways that surprise us and delight us and challenge us. Come and have your way, even right here, right now.